Well, good evening then. I wanted to introduce this special new episode of Rules of the Game. To start, a little bad news, followed by really good news. This is one of the last episodes. It's not the last, but it's one of the last. The reason, and this is the really good news, is that we're going to transition to a new podcast called LFC Talks, where we have some more conversations, yes, hopefully great ones, at the Loudon Field Center in Luckett's, Virginia. The first few episodes will be cross-posted here until the new one is up and running. This first episode is a conversation between Paul Gernhardt and myself about the implications of algorithms in social media. This is the first of a series of at least three. We'll be following up with a conversation on artificial artificial intelligence, and we'll see where it goes after that. So this season, LLC Talks will have some special guests on technology, education, faith, culture, and community right here at the Loudon Field Center in Luckett's, Virginia. We hope you enjoy this episode. So, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. Hello. My name's Butch Porter. I'm the Guild Director here at the Loudon Field Center in Luckett's, Virginia. With me today is our fearless leader, the Executive Director, uh, Paul Gernhardt. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm great, man. So we are going to launch something today called LFC Talks. This is a new podcast. It's a new uh, way to discuss the, the uh, affairs of the day. So we're going to get right to it. I'm not going to give you a bio on Paul because Paul is capable of giving his own bio. But um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Actually, what I want to do is talk about what we're going to talk about because you want to tell them what you told them. What you're going to tell them and then tell them and then tell them what you told them. Is that the way it works? It's something like that, right? Well, usually you set your qualifications before you start talking about a subject. That's true. But I'm going to talk about the subject and then you're going to talk about your qualifications. So the subject, what is the subject today, Paul? Subject is about the impact of algorithms and artificial intelligence on our world perception. Wowzers. On our world perception. On how we perceive the world. Yes. That's pretty big stuff. Uh, One of the reasons we want to talk about these kinds of things is we want to see where technology meets education, meets faith, meets culture and community. That's kind of what we're about here. And so, um, so Paul, tell us, what, what is it about your background that would lead anyone to believe that you have opinions about technology and social media especially? Well, I've been involved in technology since I was very, very young, and that led me into the very early days of online services. Um, I worked with uh, Commodore Computers as a director of training Um, I left Commodore Computers and went to a company that eventually became known as America Online. I remember America Online. Yeah, I remember remember the little discs that they'd send out and all that. That was the 90s, you know, when when we, I remember when unlimited 1995 dial-up, and that was a huge deal. That was huge. Yeah, because we were paying $3.60 an hour to spend time online to talk to each other. Paradigm shifting event. Enough, that was 95, was it not? Well, uh, right? actually, we started in 1986 with quantum computer services. America okay. Online went live uh, in the early 90s. Yeah, early 90s. It was one of the reasons why the generations are split up the way they are is because America went live. America Online went unlimited in 1995. That's how I always think about it. It might have been 94. It was somewhere around there. But that's a huge deal. So you were, you were early days AOL. Early days. I think it was about the number... 40 person hired wow. in the company. Um, Holy schnackies. And uh, probably half the companies were in customer service at the time. And when I left the company, I think we had 30,000 employees worldwide, which was actually more people in the company than we had customers when I started. Wowzers. So it was quite a ride. It's uh, a fascinating. It's, it's still coming uh, kind of full term as they tear down the old building we moved into when we became America Online in Ashburn, they started tearing that down for a new, uh, let me think, a data center. A data center, yeah. What are the odds of that? Yeah, we live, for those of you who aren't local to Northern Virginia, I mean, what is it, 75% of the world's internet goes through Ashburn, yeah, Virginia? 80-something like percent, it's huge. Yeah, 80% of the world's internet goes through this little corner of the, of the country. 
Uh, and a lot of that is because of the sheer number of data centers that keep getting built here. So anytime you, you do something online, you access your you know, cheesy little game through Facebook or whatever, I mean, odds are a lot of that's being processed right here in uh, Virginia. Yeah. So at America Online, I uh, worked in both the U.S. and I helped start, there was a third employee of AOL International as we took everything international into Germany and France, UK, Canada, Australia, Hong Kong, Japan, etc. It was quite a ride to do that. My forte, my my forte in all of that was really focused on uh, technology implementation, the tools we use, and internationalizing those tours tools, and more importantly, the development of what we at the time called user-generated content. And that was really my area of online expertise was developing what we called then special interest groups. And is really the soul and origin of what we call social networking today, which is discussion boards and areas where people talked and exchanged data and information. User-generated content. And this yep. was the late 80s. This is, a, this is the late 80s, early 90s. And it was the major change from online content. Before that, all the online services were all data-intensive. Search the New York Times archives, search uh, financial data, and it was all data-driven. And in the late 80s, as people started using personal computers, it started to change into an environment where uh, people were exchanging ideas and thoughts and having discussions, exchanging files, writing software. And that was really the origins of what today we call social networking. So how does AI fit into that? Like what? Well, AI and algorithms uh, are playing a larger, larger part. What happened in the early days, it was fairly easy to categorize what you wanted to go to. You had a menu that you walked through and there was five items on the menu and you check computer and software. And then from there, computer and software, you go into graphics forum and graphic discussions and art tools and you'd have a discussion. So everything was menu driven, much like your menu, voice menus on phones today. Sure. As we progressed and there is more and more content, we started to have trouble. How do you manage this whole tree structure of where you go? And I wrote a white paper in the early 90s, which I called search-based browse. And the concept was to track what people use and bubble that up to the top of the menu. Instead of having them to do bookmarks, which we didn't even have online at the time, it would learn about the things that you were involved with and pull those up to the higher up in the menu so you didn't have to select six different menus to get to it and bring related content to it. I, that's not the start of algorithmic, but that's kind of sure. my beginnings of exploring how that search-based browse goes. When the internet became huge, we operated the internet without search engines. Okay. And it was, you had to know the website that you wanted to go to and how to get to that website. I actually had one of the first uh, things for Palm Pilots called Aslan's page, which became very popular for a while. And that was just a list of all the things associated with Palm Pilots, all the websites and all the software sites. And that began the start of search engines. Google came along, a couple other folks preceded Google that would search and hey, create Google, the internet. Google's 21st century, didn't it? Or is it late 90s? When was uh, Google? I, I don't know offhand, but there were a couple different like a search engines. That web were, crawler is the web first one I remember. Yeah, I remember a web crawler in the 90s. And that would help you find the content you were looking for. Right. Very, very, very helpful because it was very difficult because nobody had a, a phone book directory of yeah, yeah. whatever things were. So search came along and then they started tweaking the searches and sit there and go, well, let's start selling positioning in searches. So okay. they started selling positions. So your search results weren't straight off the bat, right? But as time progressed, one of the things that happened um, was they started tracking everything you did, much like I said before, in order to give you the results you wanted. And you could have your own personal page and start getting results. Your news would start looking more like you want to look. I started customizing my news right off the bat. Was I don't not interested in sports, so I didn't have the sports news section. I don't need that. I'm not interested in uh, Hollywood, so that portion of it went away. Fashion, you're not right. you're not into fashion. Not into fashion, not so I took want. out the fashion pages. And I trimmed my news page down to just what I wanted. Sure. Well, what they did is instead of having me select those boxes, the system just started tracking what I would do. Okay. And where I spent my time and start customizing the news for us. Okay. 
um, when you got into social media on Facebook, for instance, mm -hmm. it started saying, okay, you have a thousand friends or mm -hmm. me, you know, 12 uh, friends that you track. But even there, it was just overwhelming when you have all these friends, there's so much stuff going on. How does it boil up and choose what it wants to show you right? based on what you've done in the past? So this is where the algorithm started. We didn't have AI at the time. Okay. Algorithms and AIs are different things. Okay, so what's the difference? Algorithms are hard-coded. Somebody came in and said, when this happens, do this. When somebody does this, do this. And it's actually coded in, in programmer-readable forms. Okay. Um, AI is, is, is currently used today a system that we train on data. We give it this and tell it we want this output and we train it and we train it and we train it. And eventually it starts figuring things out. And the scary part is how it does that, we don't know. Yeah, see, that's the part, that's the part that keeps bothering me. Like, every once in a while you say that, I'm like, what do you mean we don't know? They're computer programs, aren't they? No, they're not. They're not computer programs. No, they're multidimensional databases. Okay, they're actually like giant spreadsheets, but that's probably another okay. another podcast to delve into what <sighs> AI is about because that's a long subject. That's the itself. part like okay, so maybe that's another that's another podcast. But so algorithms are programs, basically. Yes, they're if then statements, right? Very complex if then statements. So, but artificial intelligence is is something else. We well, like a very complex spreadsheet with thousands and. Tri literally trillions of formulas right. that end up with a result. And those formulas are created by programs, so we don't really know what the formulas are. Okay, so what do... So well, put the AI to the side. What are the algorithms? Why do we have them? What are they, what are they, what are they doing for right. us? Right, and, and for the purpose of this, this discussion, AIs and algorithms do the same things. AIs just starting to take over the world of algorithms. So algorithms, okay, algorithms or AIs, are watching what you're doing. You're, the system's creating a profile for you of things that you do. Okay. And it selects things and orders things that you see online based on what you do. My Flat Mars t-shirt. Yeah. Like I'm literally on my own Facebook. I think it was Facebook. And I see this and there, I mean, somebody has to know, like some computer has to know me well enough to know that if it puts Flat Mars Society in front of me, on a t-shirt, I'm probably going to buy it. And I did because I was teaching an astronomy class at the time and it was a cool thing to wear when I taught astronomy. But that that's because the algorithm knows enough about me to predict that that is something I will probably like. It knows, that that, it knows that you've clicked on those things in the past. It knows that you've bought those things in the past. As you're scrolling through your feed, if you pause on something, it knows that you paused and looked at it. We'll, right, we'll get right. into some more details right, of that right, right. later on. Okay. It, uh, it knows what ads you've looked at, what ads you clicked on. Increasingly, social networks have uh, transponders on pages, so they know all the different web pages you went to. So they create this profile mm -hmm. to show you the things that, quote, you want to see. Okay. Um, and this is, this is actually good. If you think about all the information out there, that just you could literally spend your whole day every day just on social media, just keeping up on what's going on. And this is a good thing. It helps sort content for you. So the good portion it saves of these, time, right? it saves us a lot of time. The good portion is the content creation based on personal preference, your search history, your online behavior is important. It helps sort and gives you what you want. Yeah, I could, I could get into a discussion on whether saving time is really all that in a bag of chips, but let's assume for a second that saving time is good. Right. And we, most of what we do is to save time. We were talking about it in economics class today. Like that's most of what we have is to save us time. Like I can think of very few things that I buy that isn't designed to in some shape or form make something more efficient. Right. Which means saving time. Right. Right. So the algorithms help us do that when we're consuming and even producing content. Right. Right. So those are the good things. What's the, what's the downside? Well, there's a number of downsides. And, and the good side is just not that. It's not just the content you read, okay. but it's the ads. You, you don't see ads for 
uh, I don't see ads for sport products. It still that still saves yeah, us time. It, it right? still saves us time, but it yeah. gives us what we want. And right. curation isn't bad. We've always had curation since the day of the printing press. Somebody just selected what would get printed and what would be in front of us. Sure. Um, they've been, but everybody saw the same thing. So while it's very useful, there are some bad. So let me walk you down an example that we're going to use for the rest of the discussion. And I like, so is trains. I have a friend who loves trains. Okay. And he likes to take pictures of train engines. And there's groups of people who do nothing about, but that. They know when the train, certain engines coming from Boston to, to North Carolina and get out in the early morning to take pictures of them. So I'll like his picture. So I'm going online. I'm looking at everything. I, I see his picture. I like it. And I've done that a number of times. Sometimes if it's a particularly interesting shot or an interesting train, um, I'll comment on it or I'll mm -hmm. read the comments and say, hey, I like that. The system knows that. It knows it's a picture about trains. Okay. So now I'm going to start seeing more train stuff. Okay. I'm going to start seeing ads for trains. Right. And I'll keep watching these. And me, I'm, I'm an engineering kind of guy, so I want to train engines are important. So instead of trains, as I, as I start just looking at engines for trains, I'll start getting more train engine stuff. Okay. And nothing about the caboose, because we know the caboose isn't important. Those people are weird people. Caboose there, right? people are the weirdest people. Right. Yes, so, that's just objectively true. Right. So I'll look at all the train engines. And I'll start looking at diesel electric train engines. And it'll stop showing me steam-powered engines, you know. And I'll just keep getting involved. And I'll go, oh, I want to take a picture of that. And, and people who are involved in that will start appearing in my feed more often. Okay. So it's doing a good thing of sorting for me. But okay. the thing is, at this point, I haven't heard about the joys of cabooses because all I do is trains. And right. so I'll go out and take pictures of them. And it'll see that I go off to Harper's Ferry and take a picture of a train engine that's running through. Mm -hmm. And it'll show me more people who are getting up in the morning at 03 o'clock in the morning and going off and taking pictures. And then I'll sit there and say, as I get more and more into this, I start getting to find out that people know about these engines that aren't in service, but are in roundhouses or in, in train depots someplace. Okay. And if I start clicking on that, I'll start getting involved with them. And I may, for instance, get involved in a group that breaks into train depots to get pictures of these really rare engines. So breaks into train depots. Yeah, sure. Roundhouses, someplace to get it, and and they'll go in the middle of the night and kind of find their way into the buildings and take pictures, and maybe they'll go into the cab and take. Now we've now we've started committing, you know, crimes. Right. I mean, yeah. but it's just pictures, you know. It's just pictures. It's just pictures, and you know, maybe if I keep following down this line, it'll start showing me people who are really involved, and they may decide they want to get one of these things running, see if they can get it running, you know. Sure. And it just progresses down. So this is the same thing that happens in politics and every other area of our lives. The search engines and the algorithms will show me everything I want and cut out everything else. So it seems to me that it's possible that it's not, it's not necessarily giving us what we want, but it's giving us things based on what, how we're spending our time. Right. Absolutely. It's based on what you engage in. So okay. let's 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 change over to dogs and cats for an example. Okay. Okay. I love cats. So I, I click on all the cat memes and everything else in the world and I spend all the time in, in, in cats. And I think cats are just a superior pet to have. Sure. Okay. And I'm uh, sure all the dog so people out there won't You would normally them. think that that would lead me to see nothing but cats all the time, and I wouldn't see anything about dogs, but if I see a post of a dog and I go on and said, you should get a cat, right? And that's all I say. And I have this long argument on this dog post about how you should have a cat and how angry it makes me that people have dogs. Then I'm going to start seeing more dog stuff because I'm engaging in something about dogs. Because it doesn't know that you don't like cats. It only knows that you don't like dogs or you don't care about dogs. It only knows you're spending time on dogs. Absolutely. Right. It, it may know that I don't like dogs, but it knows if it shows me something about a dog, I'm going to get motivated to post something about cats. And I'm going to oh, go into that okay. thing and I'm going to interact with that. This is where we get into politics. You know? So it's not giving you, giving you what you want. It's giving you where it can, right. where it can tempt you to, to spend more time. Right. So if you get emotional and start arguing with people about a certain subject, it will show you more of that subject. Now think about that. 
this subject annoys you and bothers you so much that you're going to start interacting with people and it's just going to show you more and more of the stuff that upsets you. I'm sorry. I'm not. Like, this sounds like a demon. I uh, mean, I hate to be that way, but that's what, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, I know that's a weird way to put it, but it's that sort of nefariousness. Like, it's feeding our weaknesses. Well, it, it, it knows that you like to argue, so it's going to show right. you things to argue. I don't like to argue, but I've heard of well, people who well, do. Well, well, no, even the people who argue sit there and say, I don't like arguing. That's right. You always do it. That's right. It always works. So it's whatever motivates you to interact, whatever you spend time doing. There was a great meme that went through uh, the internet uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this girl's playing the AI and, and a customer, and, and the customer says to this AI, so why did you show me this conspiracy video? And the mm-hmm. AI says, well, because you like conspiracy videos. And he goes, why would you think that? Well, I showed you that conspiracy video last week, and you paused on it. Just, oh, that one. I just thought it was strange. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Doesn't but, matter. But you watched it to the end. Well, yeah, because it's like watching a train wreck. I wanted to see where this idiot was going. And then the so AI says... So now I'm going to show you a bunch right, of train wrecks. But, but then, you, then you looked at all the comments. And the person goes, well, I was just trying to figure out if other people thought he was as crazy as I did. But you also shared it in a DM with your friend. He goes, yeah, because I thought it was funny. But you exchanged 12 messages about your... <laughs> About it. He goes, how did you know how many messages I exchanged? Just don't ask questions you don't want answers don't to. Don't ask questions you don't want answers <laughs> so to. So it's the same thing. It's what you engage with, regardless of why you engage in that. So this is a, this is a, um, a trending concept. Like You're talking about it on, a, on an individual basis. But what happens is it happens on a, on a collective basis as well, right? Well, yes and no. It doesn't um, really? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, if a lot, enough people watch it, other people who, who watch things about cats or about trains will see more of that particular post if there's a lot of people involved in that. But the real problem we get is what is called hyper-personalized realities. Okay? And this is where the real damage begins in what this does to us. Because if we see this and go online, we see... Everybody's talking about trains. Clearly, everybody I talked about trains, they all love train engines. They all like cats. They all like what I see. Everything I see is just promoting cats, promoting cats, promoting trains. These are the things I see in my feed. So clearly, everybody is obsessed with these things. Obviously, everyone. everyone yeah. Because I don't see anything about cabooses. I don't see anything about boats. I don't see anything about dogs. I just see these things that I'm interested in. Meanwhile, there's this whole other reality of dogs and cabooses. Well, right? well, well, here's the thing. My neighbor right. doesn't see any of that. Right. You go on his things, and it's all about decorating and paint colors and fixing his lawn up and pool toys and all these. And that's what he's involved in. Mm-hmm. And horses. And that's all he sees. And everybody in the world is concerned about their houses and their pools and their horses, and that's all he sees. So that we have two completely different realities going on. Now, if it's horses and cats and trains and pools, it doesn't matter. Sure. But if everybody in my feed is talking about this political position, right? and I don't see anybody talk about any other political position, I don't see anything that disagrees with that political position because that's all I've engaged in. Sure my neighbor sees a completely different reality where everybody thinks that position is ridiculous. And everything and everybody he sees doesn't support it. So we've actually created two completely different realities between me and my neighbor. What could possibly go wrong in that scenario? I don't know. People could become hyper-polarized over a period of 10 years and be like split right down the middle on every issue and everything is either... With us or against this. With us or against this. Everything is black and white when in reality it's not. Because we see everything. And this is called an echo chamber. Right. I get in an echo chamber and I only talk to people who agree with me. So I don't see anybody who disagrees. So my positions aren't challenged. Okay. So an echo chamber is the first portion of that. An echo chamber is an environment where a person only encounters information or opinions that reflect or reinforce their own. And we only listen to that because of something 
called confirmational bias. Confirmational bias is if we see two things and we are predestined to agree with one, we ignore the other one. We don't see articles uh, that are against us. Okay. So algorithms have essentially become unintentional gatekeepers of information for us. And between that and confirmational bias, we end up with a very unique worldview that excludes things that are not part of what we already believe or not things that we aren't already interested in. Okay. So this shapes our personal identity and our self-perceptions. I fit with everybody who agrees with this because I fit with a majority because everybody agrees. My personal identity starts becoming involved in all of that against what um, my neighbor or somebody else might believe. Um, it can also affect things like self-esteem, aspirations and social norms for children in particular. Mm -hmm. They want to fit in. They want to be a part of this group. So they start adopting the things that that group professes. Um, and we start building up our own group, hyper-personalized groups or uh, realities. So this right. group of kids have a reality of this because that's the group that they're in. Um, I think we see that a lot in beauty standards. So we have algorithms that, that favor certain features in, in, in pictures. That, that, that algorithms that if people like that a lot and view that uh, beautiful picture a lot, that becomes what's promoted and that's what people want to become because they want to be a part of that group and they don't want to have big ears. So they start using filters because everybody's filtered right now. Nobody has acne. Nobody has, you know, an eye that's smaller than the other eye and nobody's ears are too big or too so small. So we're talking about, we're talking about computers using people's real-time preferences to change what is beautiful and what is not. Absolutely. That doesn't sound at all scary. And filters. Like, not at all. I, absolutely not. But, you know, the people who are most concerned about that... And not being that, facetious, that's the scariest thing oh, I think yeah, I've ever heard. Absolutely. And the people who are most susceptible to that are young girls. And we are seeing increased mental health issues and suicide rates for young girls on social media. Since social media has, has become a part of their lives, have increased greatly. So... This shaping our personal beliefs, our social actions, our political positions, our personal identity and our self-perceptions are all currently being pushed by people who are online or are constantly being modified and curated by algorithms and AI. We're talking about changing what is beautiful, what is true, and what is good for what? For stickability? Is that the term? To keep people engaged. To keep, keep people, people engaged. Right. To keep people engaged. There's a, there's a great show on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Sure. That talks about AIs that are designed to keep people online. So, hey, I noticed you haven't been online for a while. So, I do know that if, if I send you a message about a girl who's near you, that you'll engage and you get online. Right. So they start figuring out what can I send you, what can I ping you with, what can I send notifications to draw you back in, and what can keep you online. If you're about to sign out, if you're slowing down on your scrolling and you're not interacting, let me send you something that will engage you again. Yeah, does the, if I recall correctly, I haven't seen it in a while, but does the movie personify the, the algorithms like they're like trying to get him you know, back on Absolutely. Where it shows like actual people representing the algorithms. Absolutely. His, his, it's his, like an inside-out kind right, of thing. Right, right. So the, 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 the movie is in two parts. One, people discussing the issues, and the other is about a family who's going That's through right. them. And there's a young girl who, who uh, getting all these likes for her pictures that she's taken, and out of the hundreds of positive comments, somebody says, can you make your ears any bigger? She spends the rest of the movie like trying to hide her ears because now she's super self-conscious sure, about her sure, ears. Sure, 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 sure. You know, and this could lead to, I don't know, operations later on to remove them. I mean, it's really deeply psychologically impacting while her brother ends up being at a, at a violent political protest. Sure. So yeah, these things can have that kind of effect, but they also have other unintentional effects. So when you're generally viewing things, you have this kind of serendipitous discovery. You know, yeah. you stop learning new things. You stop seeing new opportunities because it's all curated about what you are now, not what you might become. Um, and this happened to me, I noticed this early, early on when I got an iPod. 
the very first, years ago, iPod's music machine was separate from your phone, which was right. hanging on the wall, right? Back in the Stone <laughs> Ages, uh, kiddos. Back like, in the 1900s. Yeah, our, our, our cameras and our phones and our music players were all separate devices. Right. So one of the things I noticed is I was lo- uploading all of my CDs. You had to take each CD, put oh, it sure, in, yeah. record it, and put it on your, your iPod because you couldn't buy music online. And one of the things I noticed was my music discovery went away. I was basically listening to the 100 CDs I had. Yeah. I wasn't listening to the radio anymore because I'd go on in, in my car and plug it in. So I wasn't experiencing any new music whatsoever. Right. And my music froze in that environment. That's kind of what's happening today as we get algorithms designed only about what we want and what we see. We're not seeing all these other things that might interest us. And so these things are, are stuff that we have to keep in mind about how that's doing it. We'll talk about what, what our response could be. But finally, the final component, and this is not the component I want everybody to focus on because everything has been done so far in our discussion kind of for our benefit, to mm-hmm. weed through the billions and billions of things in our lives so that we can get in and out of, of, of Facebook in you know three or four hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but this becomes now something a little more cynical in terms of capitalism. And I'm a big fan of capitalism. Don't big get me fan. Wrong. Pro, pro-capitalism. Right. But you com- realize real quick that the term capitalism was invented by commies, right? No, I didn't. I mean, the term is actually, you know, was Marxist term for, for the market, the free market, right? So, you know, we should probably avoid using the term most of the time because it's a pejorative for right. the bad effects of free markets. But nonetheless, yeah, it has, uh, it has its downsides. So, but why is why is that? I mean, obviously, stickability is is what they're shooting for, and they're well, shooting not necessarily, for, no? not necessarily. Okay, because now algorithms can be instructed to give you not just products, but start promoting other things based on what they know about you. Okay, so companies can can use this not only just for prof, profit and pushing products, but ideas become into play um, okay. without getting too much into 2020 elections. Yeah, it's, not. Um, it's not difficult for uh, companies that run social media to censor information and keep certain information from you during an election. It's perfectly possible. I guarantee you they know what your political orientation is. So imagine in an election environment where elections are run just by slivers of, mm-hmm. of numbers, right? Yep. Um, they're, they're so close in virtually every key demographic. They're sure. so Or not demographic, but every key state. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine if they sit there and go, well, you're a Democrat. So what I want to do is I want to send a thing to remind Democrats to vote and not send it to Republicans. Republicans. Yeah. So I'm just going to send this to everybody I know is going to vote Democrat. I'm going to send reminders to vote for the weeks leading up to it. And what would that cost for the for that company to do that? It'll cost them nothing. Almost nothing. Yeah. Almost nothing. But if they can get, you know, 1% more turnout on this side, it's enough to swing an election. Mm-hmm. Um, between that and, and, and news bias and creating... Uh, Bias is not based on what you want, but based on how they want you to do. One of the sure. things in, in Social Dilemma that's particularly pertinent is they start talking about where the money is in social media. Okay. So if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Sure. If you're right? not paying for the product, you're all the product. Right. So they're taking all this information, selling ads to you, and people are paying money to influence and change your behavior. Right. Okay. Modify your behavior. To buy their product mm-hmm. instead of some other product or to vote for them or to send them money as donations so they can use these algorithms to bias more of what you see to lead you in a direction based on their desires, not based on what you've done in the past. And this is increasingly becoming the issue of what is really happening and you can influence and there's no way for anybody to measure that. So the government has trouble measuring it. How do we control something we can't really say for certain is actually happening. So you say that there's not a lot we can do about it, but obviously 
if there is if there isn't anything we can do about it, we probably shouldn't even bother talking about it. Right. So so what do you think we can do to? We we can actually do a lot. The, the question is, how do you accomplish that without becoming unplugged from everything that's going on? Because we can't afford to be unplugged. Right. Right. So you know, I tried to give up Facebook for a while and found out I don't know what's going on in my HOA. I don't know what's going on in the clubs I'm a member of. I, I don't know what's happening on meetings. And I don't know what's going on in the community without Facebook because they use that as a means of getting information across. So I can't totally disconnect. I ended up reconnecting. But I can do some things. I can recognize everything we just talked about, which is, mm -hmm. is how I got here and, and got through all of this was trying to figure out how do I manage this, this world. And uh, one of them is to be aware of what's happening. And to consider that when you engage in things, you're going to see more of that. So if you don't want to argue, then align your heart and your mind together and stop arguing. And you'll start getting, stop seeing things that upset you. Um, there's other techniques. Um, number one, using neutral search engines. So Google is probably the most algorithmically uh, biased, purposely and incidentally, service that you can use. There's things like DuckDuckGo, for example, mm -hmm. that don't track you, don't keep track, don't modify the results based on what they know about you or anything else. So DuckDuckGo is, happens to be my favorite. It's, it's pretty comparable. But it's fascinating to go to DuckDuckGo's news area and search for something, as I did this afternoon on a particular topic. I got lots of results. I went over to Google and searched Google's news, and I got two unrelated results. And it was a political issue. Sure. So um, use... Uh, neutral search engines. Um, try using private browsers that okay. don't collect cookies. Turning off cookies is difficult because it doesn't. So I have two browsers that I use. One I use for Facebook, for instance, and another one that I use for everything else to, so Facebook doesn't get access to it. Um, mm -hmm. well, I usually do most of my browsing in private engines that don't keep search it, or don't keep cookies alive. Okay. So and it and it stops tracking. So if you start using things that don't do tracking, don't do cookies, that helps. But this is somewhat of a cat and mouse game. Mm -hmm. So your browser now has fifty settings on it, and you tell it not to do cookies. Now they're fingerprinting all of your settings in your browser and saying, "Well, your browser looks like this running on this and this version," and they start printer printing. So. That's somewhat of a cat and mouse game. Mm -hmm. um, broaden your digital horizons. You know, use different sources. Use different news sources. Use different um, search engines. Use different uh, opinion sources. Um, if you can't find neutral ones, use a variety of them. So you get it. One of my favorites. Uh, I have a favorite for political news. I won't say what it is, but it's is yeah. I I, I see. A headline that says this politician is the worst thing that ever happened to humanity, and the next headline run under says that he's the savior for humanity. Sure. So it's good you can sit there and see if you have a lot of diverse opinions in the headlines that you're getting a more biased point of view. I got. I, I also would say that I'm, I don't know if uh, if any of our listeners have ever heard of these, but there's these things called books. Mm -hmm. Now I, I know that I know that that's that's weird because we're we're worried about things being outdated. But I would posit that there are certain ideas that are less dated than we think they are, and if we if we if we take a little time to dig deep enough into a topic to actually explore a book or two or three on the topic, we'll probably come out of it more prepared to handle a variety of information about a variety of topics from sources that might be biased against our inclinations. Um, so I think, I think that's a, that's a lost art from a curation standpoint. Um, you know, trying to learn ideas as opposed to learning events is, is what I, what I've always recommended when it comes to, especially the politics. Like people, people study politics through people and ideas. They study people, they study ideas, and there's this cool quote about simple minds talk about people and and uh, and uh, average minds talk about events and um, advanced minds talk about ideas. So if you're talking about ideas, they're more, they're less dependent upon certain events, they're less dependent upon uh, certain people. And we know this because the most tabloid of tabloid is always 
about characters, about celebrities, about people. Mm -hmm. And it's not that people aren't important, but following people is a dangerous task when it comes to... If you're trying to sift between what is true, what is not, what is good, what is bad, what is beautiful, what is not beautiful, then starting with ideas is, is often a good, a good way to... And books can do that. And looking for facts. You know, when I was back in the investment world um, and people were getting me, wanting me to invest in startups, I had a, a group who called me and said, hey, this guy is starting a new restaurant chain okay. and we'd like you to invest. And uh, he's a, a country western star, a music star, and uh, he started a restaurant. And, I, and, and my question wasn't, oh, that's great. I love country that's western awesome. music. He's, he's great. Yeah. I've listened to him. I'll invest in his. I asked, so what does he know about running a restaurant? Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's following people aren't always as good as following facts. Sure, sure. Um, you know, print, you, you, you mentioned print, and that's a really good case. You know, when I get a magazine, it's the same magazine as the guy next door. Right. You know, although the cover may be different in Chicago than it is in Tennessee, but the content of the magazine is generally the same. And uh, I had a friend back in the military before online services, before people had computers. And he had an interesting thing. He only read news from monthly magazine, news magazines. Sure. Because by then, by the time he gets to that, it's always been sorted out. It's, it's been research. They've had the time to do it sure. right, as opposed to reading something in the front page of the newspaper, which is only half done because it just happened two hours before press time. Yeah, I would, I would posit to you that if we're looking at what's wrong with the world when it comes to news, um, having to report news real time, as opposed to giving it a chance to, you know, be not curated but processed. Sourced, researched, researched, uh, checked. Um, yeah, one one could argue that is part of the problem. Right. We have this we have this tendency to want to be on the bleeding edge of everything, and that and and part of that is is the money motive from Fox News and CNN coming out in the late eighties, mm -hmm. which I'm not sure is there a relationship between. You know, the internet generation and cable news coming out roughly the same time, like late 80s, early 90s? So, in AOL, one of my big parts of AOL was I ran the news section. I ran about half the online services, but one of them was a news section. Right. And I was working with the Washington Post at the time. Okay. And they wanted to take their content online. Right. And... Uh, as I explore that and look back on all the things that we're doing, they were using these old systems. It was really, really hard. But there was a foundational shift in news gathering where the newspapers were going underwater. They couldn't support themselves because their distribution was down. People started getting their stuff in on, on, uh, on TV, on cable news networks that were running 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, so they could cover all kinds of things. And then as online came, came up, the newspapers like the Washington Post, staffs got cut and cut and cut and cut. But that's where all the news was being done. That's where the research was being done. And okay. the, they couldn't afford reporters anymore. So now reporters were being cut short. Where are they going to get their money? Sure. Right? And it became particularly online. You have to get the click-throughs to get the ad, to get the ad revenue <laughs> to pay for your Thing, and it's done right. on a reporter-by-reporter reporter basis. Now the problem is I have to have some motivational headline to get your attention sure. that motivates you, angers you, or pleases right. you enough to click on that headline so or that even, I get my ad revenue. Or even lies to you. Right. Like, I mean, seriously, a lot of the headlines, well, headlines, even in, in, even in old, the old newspaper days, the headlines weren't written by the writer. They were written right. by the editor, right? Right. And, and the most was, sensational one was put on the right. front of the paper sure. to sell you the paper. So you get the Chicago Tribune instead of the Sun Times, and that's it hasn't changed. The, the 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 technology behind it has changed. So we've had this hyper personalization, but we've also moved off of news to motivating you to click on an article. And this is probably a different podcast, but the differentiation between news and opinion, that line between news and opinion, oh. is hosed. So I used to watch CNN when I worked from home in the late eighties. Um, and even into the 90s when I was working from home, working on some projects in California, we, I used to have CNN on, CNN on all the time. Right. 
And it was just this constant, it was a half hour program and 20 minutes after it was sports that, you know, and it was great. I used to just have it running. I could catch up on everything. Every story was like a minute long. That's all they could sure, afford. Sure, so sure, it was sure. just the facts. I didn't have... And so then I got more into spending time elsewhere. I stopped watching CNN all day. Um, many, many years later, I started going to the gym. Okay. And I started working out and they have CNN plays. Oh, great. I bought headphones. So I could listen to the audio on CNN. And all it was was talking heads. People arguing about this, that, or the other thing. There was no like, oh, this is what happened. It's, well, it, was, it was just all, oh, to get these guys to argue because I don't make people watch. So we, we've, we've gone into opinion. But, I think I'm sure. but bringing this back into, what you know, do what, do? what do you do? Because, you know, headlines and newspapers, the front page was, is what sold the newspaper. And they had to appeal to everybody. They had to give some, everybody something on that front page to buy, the, sure. buy it for, right? Right. And, and now they don't have to because is what they can do is the front page is designed for a male, white male, Christian, conservative, making $53,000 a year, whose wife works, has two kids. Um, and, and, you know, they, that's the newspaper that you right, get right, is right. like literally custom designed for your political, theological, sure. economic viewpoint. What are the odds of that person being a Democrat? Right. Um, so finding good news is is often difficult. I like to go to the Wall Street Journal is one of my favorite. Okay. Because financial people don't care what's happening. They just want to know exactly factually what's happening because sure. they need to place their bets. It's just like the facts. that's all they're doing. Right. Just yeah. the facts. Tell me what's really happening. And I don't really care about your opinion. I'll have my own opinion. But I want to know the facts before I place my money on things. So I like to go to financial. So seek out those things, those platforms, those services that either – give you fact-based, low opinion, or gives you both opinions or seek two different things so you can get both opinions. Social media is very, very much more complex. I touched on this earlier. First of all, I come from an online world. I helped create what we consider today the online world. Mm -hmm. It was a huge thing for me, and I spend a lot of time on there. But I've come to the conclusion that no amount of social media is good for children. Zip zero, zip zero, not. not it's not healthy. None so how of would you it define children? Healthy. Would you say thirteen is a good cutoff? Um, I, I, I think it's more of a of a personality trait. Right. <laughs> um, but so that's that's the next question. The question is, how much is good for adults? You know, well, I, I'm of the opinion that uh, zero is a good number for adults. It just may not be possible. Right. But it's but social media. I mean, that's different than search engines. We need the internet, right? right? We don't need social media, not really. Now, Facebook is my only exception because of marketing. Like right. where we are right now is mostly marketed through Facebook. Most people are dependent upon Facebook to run their business. Right. So this is where time tracking becomes important. And Apple has some, sure. I'm an Apple person, so my iPhone has a really good time tracking where I'm spending all of my time. Um, another thing I did when I realized the disaster social media was making in my life. Mm -hmm. Friendships, political positions, everything else. And I recognize that this is when I started trying to get off of social media. Um, I found I could actually use all of these algorithms to my benefit once I understood what was happening. Okay. So I stopped arguing about politics. <gasps> Say it ain't so. I stopped reading people's long diatribes about politics. I'll still post some things that are less political, more worldview kind of things. But I don't engage heavily in politics. I engage in what people's lives are going on. I engage in my community. I engage in the organizations that have pages that I'm a part of. This has added benefits of maybe being better for your soul as well. Absolutely. Not, yeah, not just, uh, not just uh, uh, saving you from being destroyed by social right. media. So algorithms can encourage the worst of us, but they can also reward the best of us. I didn't have to do that forever. I right. only had to do that long that. enough for the algorithms sit there and say, he doesn't like politics. He avoids anything political. He avoids, he avoids this type of subject. Sure. And if I did it long enough, it stopped showing me. And I had a lot of friends who literally just dropped off my newsfeed. Because oh, yeah. all they do is talk about politics and argue. And, and they're, you know, far left, far left, far right, whatever. But those people, when I stopped engaging in that. Don't see them in a month, they all went away. And I don't even see them. Now, yeah. if they post something about their lives, about their cat... Or about a train, or about photography, or whatever about Santa Claus, or whatever sure. else. I'll see it. Right. But so it, you can use these algorithms to your benefit by just refraining from the stuff that you don't, that your brain tells you you don't want to engage in. 
Right. Yeah, you you actually intentionally don't right. want to. Yeah. Right. So just control yourself for a month, and, and it kind of goes away. Um, so stop engaging in things that are that drive you emotionally negative. Mm-hmm. Um, don't respond to things that make you upset. If you respond to them, the algorithm thinks you want to see more of that, and they will give you more. So if you see things that upset you, scroll on by. Just keep scrolling. Um, focus on what's happening in your physical and your real life communities by subscribing to pages and interacting on those pages are political. My HOA page, you know, if there's an event going on, I'll like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if something good is going on, I'll like those things. I'll comment on things purposely to mm-hmm. draw those back more into my life. So it's it's stop doing the arguing and get get more involved. You have to feed your owl, right? Right. You yeah. have to feed your owl. You know, it's an interesting, there's, there's an old saw, I should have said it earlier, but... Um, there's an old saw about if a man from a hundred years ago came today and saw us today, what would I tell him? You know, he looked at my phone and would say, well, wow, that's amazing. What do you do with that? You know, you have the whole world of information at your fingertips. You can mm-hmm. communicate with anybody in the world. We didn't even know about any of that stuff. Right, right, right. What do you do with it? It's like, well, I look at cat pictures and I argue with strangers. That's right. You know, so it's like, stop doing that. I mean, cat pictures are fine, you know, as long as you don't diss dogs. But, um, you know, stop arguing with strangers and stop doing the things that you say you don't want to do. Now, we get into heart-mind kind of things. People do things that they think they don't want to do, but that's all they do. Yeah, I actually posted that as a thing one time. I'm like, I, my rule is I'm not going to argue with strangers anymore because there's nothing, there's nothing to be gained from it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, like, there's no, there's no actual there there. Right. Right. And so what happens is you end up you end up costing potential relationships as well. Because some of the, if you know somebody on Facebook, there's a chance that you might actually know them through another person and you might see them in person one day. And if you've already, you know, made an enemy of them on the Facebooks, then that's a friend that you could have possibly had. Now what's the flip side though? The flip side is people have lost friends, lifelong friends, like friends from so what do we do about that? That's they're not strangers, they're loved ones. Sometimes people we really know really well. So that's even more dangerous. So how about not arguing period. online, period? Right. Or, or keep your arguments mm-hmm. to in person. Right. And you're not seeing everything uh, presented. So when I was getting involved in uh, well in politics and in specific things like guns and things, mm-hmm. you get into some really heated discussion. I've lost some some people that, that were close associates, friends that, sure, that sure. I interacted with, and, and they like totally checked out because of my position on guns, which isn't radical. It's, but um, the interesting thing was that I argue with people about politics and stuff, and I tried to make all these points. I tried to present facts and everything else, and, and I thought, you know, I was getting the upper hand to get all mad and mad, and nobody would agree with me. I'm like, what's going on? So I go to a party in real life, right? I go to a party and I have people come in. Oh, I really loved your comments on that. That was so good. I said, why didn't you? I had six people telling me that I was an idiot. That's right. And, and everybody who thought I was good didn't say anything. So you yeah. don't actually, until you get in real life with people, you don't actually get everybody's broad opinions. And that has, that has a dangerous aspect too. I had so many friends that would tell me that. I kept posting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought, okay, well, you know, at least some of these people actually appreciate what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But that's just this... It's not necessary. If they already agree with you, then, you know, I mean, what do you need to build up your right. ego? Like, that's not even and, necessary. And if they don't agree with you, I, one of the, my favorite memes is, you know, a guy on Facebook saying, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I'm changing my opinion. Said no one ever. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> so, um, and that's another point. Get offline. Get off. Line, go to monthly dinners someplace. Sure. You know, sure. go and talk to people in real life. Get some perspective. You know, one of the biggest perspectives that I came through as I was going through this process of detoxing, if you will, um, was to recognize that, you know, my opinion didn't matter to anybody. They agreed with me or disagreed with me. They disagreed with me, got upset. If they agreed with me, they're tired of hearing about it. Um, and it wasn't doing me any good. And most of the stuff I argued about had no bearing on my day-to-day life whatsoever. Right. You know, so context is important. And I kind of have a feeling, one of, my, one of my phrases about the Freedom Center is all this stuff that we see in the news and all these social, 
arguments and all of this social clashing, none of it changes what we do here on a day-to-day -day basis. It has zero impact whatsoever. We are called to love each other, to love God, to right. treat each other with love. And nothing is going to change that. Um, so back off. Control what you're doing. Use the algorithms to your benefit to really uh, do what you want to be involved in. Sure. Um, and then consider what the larger role. There's a lot of interesting things going on in AR and this kind of, if I can call it the personal reality construction. Right. You know, as we get into AR goggles and VR and more filters on our phones and... Oh, augmented reality. Augmented reality. AR is augmented reality. Augmented reality. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, what could go wrong there? Right. I can't imagine. So be aware of how all these things are... are, are changing what your worldview is, recognize that you probably have been living in a hyper-personalized reality, and that's not what the real world is. And you have to get out in the real world and, and see what the real world is to really start enjoying it. So be proactive in understanding, navigating the digital landscapes that, that are around you, figure out what's going on, understand how you're being, could be manipulated either for your benefit, for your pleasure, your enjoyment, to give you what you want, and we all know that giving everybody only what they want is usually not a good thing. Well, actually, we talked about it today. Um, it came up in economics class again. It keeps it keeps coming up. Um, you know, the Rumpelstiltskin. I mean, that's what that's what Rumpelstiltskin is. Getting getting what you want is usually a bad idea. Right. Um, you know, uh, the genie. The, the you know the 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 three wishes. Yeah. The three wishes from the genie. It's all. It never works out. Getting what you want. Is not is not the thing. It's actually uh, doing good in the world is actually what we should be focusing on. There's a recent movie about that. A, a, a story archaeologist who studies stories throughout history, and she finds it. She gets a genie in a bottle, and she's given three wishes. Right, right, right. And she goes, "I don't want to make them because they never." All throughout all of the stories that I, we've ever read about, this never turned out well, so I don't want to make any wishes. And if she doesn't make the wishes, he won't be free. He won't be free. 3,000 years of longing. Right. right. It's, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I keep on wanting to because I like both the actors. Mm -hmm. So so it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but it's, it's just a, a strange world where people have their own realities. And certainly there's a lot of shared realities. You get a lot of people who are politically oriented towards one person on a radical side, and they will they just all agree um, because they all get together and they all agree on this despite the fact that you know none of them would have agreed otherwise. So this is kind of like, we're running our society based on a committee. And I've always right. said committees will decide things that no individual on the committee would ever agree to otherwise. They wouldn't conceive of it, but if you put 10 people together and they vote on something, they'll conceive of doing horrific things that nobody would have ever conceived of. We, we, we know this to be true. There's, there's, there are examples of these things yes. in, in the last 100 years, especially. That the last week. Uh, show <laughs> In the last week that show us uh, that what we're capable of, and it's not, it's not good. And, and, and technology has a, mm -hmm. if it has a major flaw, it has, it, it's that it has a potential to accelerate and magnify uh, those tendencies, right? And that's where it gets really risky. Well, I I want to say thank you for taking so much time with me to to go through this. Uh, I'm glad we did this because uh, we had these kinds of conversations occasionally, and it's good to make sure that that everyone has a chance to to uh, benefit from them. You have a blog, do you not? I've started a blog. Yes. You started a blog. Okay. Are you are you going to share with us what that blog is, or are you going to wait I, until the uh, next time? No, I've got enough articles on there. I've got about six articles on there, and it's uh, it's about foundationally effective lifestyles. Uh, it's not all technology based. Right? It's not technology based at all. It's right, it's, okay. it's about what I've learned over the years of the past twenty years of personalized coaching for individuals and corporations and pastors and churches. Okay. Um, and kind of the things that I've learned or I've been taught by other people kind of put together in a framework to help people right. view the world so that a little bit more clearly. Not what to believe, but a different way of viewing it. And the name of the blog is paulonlife.com. Paulonlife. Paulonlife.com. I like it. Okay, good stuff. Well, uh, for those of you who are listening, thank you. Um, and... We'll put some links in in the in the show notes to make sure everybody has a chance to get to uh, Paul's blog and to our website here at the Loudon Field Center. A little plug for what we do: we have something called the Guild here. Uh, we focus on three things: 
Uh, one is communication skills. Two is good uh, queer thinking skills. And three is, of course, building character. So if you're interested and you have a 10 to 15 year old who, who uh, needs uh, an alternative to their educational educational situation, and send them our way. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Loudon Field Center in general, we have retreats, we have events here. Um, you go to loudonfieldcenter.org. And, um, world-class disc golf course. And a world-class disc golf course. Clark's run disc golf course, don't forget. So for those uh, who uh, have enjoyed this conversation, please uh, share and go have a conversation of your own, but play by the rules.